Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we pray now that as we think uh, about what it means to be uh, people in fellowship together, uh, we pray that you would uh, open up our eyes um, in how great a thing it is um, Yeah, that we can meet together as your people and that we have uh, the church. And Lord, we just uh, pray now that you will help us uh, to submit uh, to your word and to let it uh, work in us so that we might live for your glory. Amen. Well, I am a big fan of the Western genre. So, uh, Joe, when you were talking about the wagons before, it got me very excited. Um, I really enjoy films and television that portray the Wild West, the American frontier. Uh, what do I love about it? I love the setting. I love the stories. I love the accents. Uh, I love the shootouts. Uh, I love the portrayal of this what kind of wild and untamed world and people struggling to survive and to tame it. Um, oh, I love westerns. Uh, there's a particular kind of character, a type of character, that regularly uh, pops up uh, in western films. Uh, the Lone Ranger. Now, if you, you might know what I'm talking about. This is a type of character. Uh, it's a rugged individual, usually played by someone like uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, a lot of black glaring. Um, and this, this Lone Ranger uh, is a solitary figure that drifts from place to place. Uh, they're the pinnacle of self-reliance and individual strength. Uh, they have their quick wits. They have the survival knowledge. They have the deadly reflexes. Uh, they have all the tools that they need. They've got their horse, their pistols, uh, the, you know, the cool lasso rope and, and, a, and a cool hat as well. Uh, the Lone Ranger is able to survive in the West by themselves. They've got their skills and the equipment. And so they're able to survive in the harsh wilderness uh, with all the fierce weather and the ferocious animals. Uh, they're able to survive in the lawless town uh, filled with uh, hostile and violent people. Uh, and it's pretty and key from the name. The Lone Ranger, they like to be alone. Uh, they don't want to live off the grid. They're not going to fit into society or have a community. Um, now, this kind of character, this Lone Ranger character, uh, like most portrayals of the American frontier, is a, an idealised uh, myth. But uh, when it comes to... Um, uh, Christians, I've encountered a number of Christians uh, over the course of, of my life who they, they see themselves in this kind of lone ranger mould uh, when it comes to their faith. Uh, they're people who genuinely believe in, in Christ and what he has done for their salvation. But uh, when I've spoken to them, uh, they've told me, well, they don't need the church. Um, and you hear a bunch of reasons for this. Well, they'll say, well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, or, oh, I don't find that I'm growing at church, uh, I don't fit in with uh, that community, uh, and sometimes the church is imperfect and I've been hurt by the church. Uh, and in this modern day and age, uh, well, they, they tell me that they have all the tools that they need. Well, I, I can read my Bible at home, I can pray by myself. Uh, these days you have access uh, to great preachers online all over the world. So why, if I have all these things, do I need to be involved in my local church community? I wonder if they are right. Can we be Lone Ranger Christians? Uh, the big question that we have this morning is why do Christians need the church? Uh, well, we've been exploring uh, in this series over the last few weeks the life of faith, and that's looking at the basics of the Christian life. And what I'm going to say this morning is that fellowship, Christian fellowship, is essential to the life of faith. Uh, it's fundamental to the Christian life. But I should clarify what I mean when I use the, the term church. Uh, we might 
use, we use the same word to describe a whole bunch of different things. We might use it to speak of uh, this building, uh, the institution of the church, so the Anglican Church or the Baptist Church. Uh, we speak of our, our services in this way, you know, I'm going to church. Uh, but when I speak of the church, what I am referring to is the community of faith. Those who believe and trust uh, as Jesus as Saviour and Lord and who gather together as his people. So the first reason, uh, if you've got your outline there, that fellowship is essential, is that God saves a people for himself. Uh, often when we think of salvation, it, we often frame it in individual terms. We say, well, Jesus died uh, to forgive my sins, uh, to give me a personal relationship with God uh, so that I might have eternal life. Uh, well, this is right and true, uh, our individual salvation fits into something much bigger, that God is creating a people for himself. Uh, in that outline there, you've got that promise there. It says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, if you were to Google that phrase, you would find uh, that it pops up uh, many, many times throughout the Bible in key places uh, as God speaks about his plan of salvation. Uh, because God's purpose in salvation history has always been to make for himself a worship community, a people who know him, who love him, who want to live for his glory. And this promise is ultimately fulfilled in the cross of Christ, where God redeems a people for himself, called out of the world from sin and into the kingdom of God. Now, the church, it is made up of individuals, so it's right to speak of our personal relationship, but it's not a private relationship. Uh, Christian fellowship uh, it's more than just uh, a bunch of uh, like-minded, saved sinners deciding, uh, you know, one day, well, let's hang out together. Uh, in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Christ, the family of God, the new Israel, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of these point to the same reality, that God has saved and assembled a chosen, consecrated, corporate people. And this is actually central to the purposes of God. Uh, in the letter of Ephesians, uh, Paul's aim is to lay out for the church uh, the cosmic reality that all things in heaven and on earth are going to come under Christ's lordship. And so the church actually plays a major focus in this letter because it is part of this cosmic purpose, that it is a sign to the world of the final reconciliation of all things to Christ. Uh, and it's amazing to think that our little you know, gathering church here, as an Anglic a little gathering as an Anglican church here in Springwood, that's actually one visible local expression of that huge reality. And because uh, we have fellowship with God, it actually means we now have fellowship with his people. Uh, we had the reading in 1 John, and verse 3 said this, it said, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been drawn into a relationship with God. We've been united to him by his Holy Spirit. But by that same Spirit, we've been drawn into a fellowship with each other. Uh, last year, I signed up for a new contract for my phone uh, with Optus. And as I was signing up, uh, there were all these extras that I could uh, get and I could pay for. I could get Netflix on my phone. I could watch the Premier League. Uh, National Geographic Channel, the list just went on and on and on. All these extras. But our fellowship with God, that isn't an optional extra. Sorry, our fellowship with God's people isn't an optional extra. Uh, there is no union with Christ without communion with his body. 
So when we use the term fellowship, uh, we tend to use it in the sense of spending relational time together, and, that, and that's right, you know, we have fellowship after, after church. But it actually, fellowship, the word fellowship here is actually speaking to a deeper reality, to a deep relationship that exists between us as God's people. The Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And this actually binds us together stronger than any common ethnicity or culture or even family ties. And it also transcends uh, the human barriers that we set up of every kind. Now, whether we actually choose to express this fellowship that really exists is another thing altogether. Uh, It's possible to live in such a way to deny uh, our relationship with one another, uh, just as it's possible uh, uh, for families you know, to live apart, to not call each other, um, to not go to the family gatherings. Uh, technically, they're still a family, uh, but ob- it's obviously not ideal the way they're living, is it? They're not expressing uh, the relationship in the way it's meant to be. And so, like, uh, I guess, a wayward family member uh, is a Christian who thinks that they can exist without the church. They're actually living in denial of their true identity. So, do I need to go to church uh, as a Christian? Yes. God has saved you and united you to his body. Uh, We are to have fellowship with the body. Now, this looks like having genuine relationships with one another. We're doing life together. We really care about how one another are going uh, in our faith. We're looking to love and to serve each other. But our fellowship, I think, is most importantly expressed in our regular public gathering. The church gathers. It's what we do. Uh, We're doing here every Sunday. And in this, we're expressing uh, the fellowship that we have with God, and with each other. Uh, Together we're drawing near to God to worship Him, to engage with His Word. Uh, And the the thing about uh, our Sunday gatherings when we gather together is actually we're anticipating anticipating our future. That God uh, one day and all His people will be gathered together uh, and His people will worship Him. They'll be dwelling with one another uh, in perfect relationship together. That's that's our, our future in the new creation. And so that's why the author of Hebrews tells Christians not to give up meeting uh, in the regular gathering. It's too important. Uh, it's not as though God is uh, sitting there, you know, marking the roll every week uh, to see if you've gone to church. But we should want to be meeting with God's people. And actually, uh, it's to our own detriment uh, if we are unable uh, to meet. It's to our own detriment and to the detriment of the body. Uh, now, there are, uh, in some cases, uh, people that get, you know, for various reasons of being frail or physically ill, uh, they're unable to make it to the regular gathering. Uh, and, that, and that is a shame. We should also be seeking to you know, reach out to them and, and extend uh, that fellowship to them, um, even though they can't make it to church. So, I wonder, do we see the church in the way that God does? Do we set the same priority for fellowship with God's people? Or do we only come to the meetings when uh, coming to church when it is convenient and comfortable for us? Uh, it may be that we need to care more about uh, our fellowship with God's people than we do. So God has saved himself a people. Uh, secondly, uh, our fellowship with each other is essential because we actually need each other. God has made us a united body. Uh, now, there are many visible churches and denominations here on earth, uh, But actually, in reality, there is one church and anyone who trusts in Christ is a member of that church. Now, that's not to say that uh, denominational differences uh, are unimportant. Sometimes they actually are pretty important. 
but it's important to remember that what we share uh, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we share, uh, as Paul lays out there, one hope, one faith, one God. And God doesn't want division in his church, but unity. So, as Paul says in verse 3, we're to be pursuing the unity of the Spirit, uh, especially uh, in our local fellowship. So, what does that mean? That means, I think, with patient and humble love for each other, we're seeking to come to a greater accord uh, of how we should be living out our faith. Now, this isn't a unity that is at the expense of the truth, uh, but rather it's a unity that we pursue together. Uh, It's actually formed and created by the truth of the gospel. So we are to be united, but within this um, united body of of everything we share in common, we actually have diversity. Uh, And it may seem that when we speak of diversity, uh, that actually goes against uh, the unity that we have in fellowship. But actually, I think it enhances it, and I'll explain why. Uh, We see there in verse 7 that Paul declares, "To to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, Paul here, he's not speaking of the grace of salvation. Every Christian fully receives that grace. What Paul is talking about here is the grace of receiving gifts of different kinds and portions. So, notice that all the gifts uh, that we have, uh, it's important to know this, are due to Christ's giving. Uh, And that's the picture that we receive there uh, in verse verse 8. Paul's quoting from Psalm 68, and Christ is pictured as um, a triumphant military ruler who is dealing out uh, the booty, the spoils of war to his people. Uh, Jesus Christ, as Lord of all, is graciously giving to his church uh, and to his people what they need. And it doesn't just say one special group of people receive this gift, but each one of us. So nobody misses out. Everyone shares in the bounty of Christ. But we have different gifts. And since all the gifts are the result of grace... Uh, there is no sense of superiority to be felt um, because they've been gifted by grace. And whatever gifts that we have, they're not for our own glory and our prestige, uh, but we see here they're clearly to be used for the benefit of others, for loving service. So this diversity it actually contributes to the church's overall unity. Uh, if you think of a, a great big orchestra, um, every musician has its place, every instrument has its place. Uh, even the the humble triangle, it contributes something to the piece. And if it were missing, the the whole piece, the whole orchestra would be less for it. See, the beautiful thing about church is we don't all have the same gifts, um, but we have different gifts. And the diversity of church actually means that we have something to contribute. Uh, It means everybody is necessary. And so the gifts that we have can be all sorts of things. Uh, It can be uh, we have the gift of being able to teach the Bible uh, well to adults. Maybe we have the gift of being able to teach the Bible well to children. Uh, some will have gifts of uh, being able to look after others uh, with pastoral care. Some people have the gift of hospitality. Uh, some people have the gift of being really good at welcoming people. Some have musical gifts. Some have gifts of being able to run um, uh, all the tech stuff that happens and make the slides work. Uh, some have gifts of being able administrators and organisers. You know, the possibilities, they go on and on. But we all have gifts, we all have something that we can contribute to this fellowship to benefit it. So I guess I wonder, are you currently using the gifts that you have to serve the body of Christ? And Paul then goes on to speak that uh, while all have gifts, some are given a particular gift um, of the ministry of the word. So some, by God's grace, are ministers of the word. 
Uh, you've got the offices uh, of the word that are listed there in verses 11 and 12. Uh, and they all exist uh, for a particular purpose, which I'm going to come back to. Uh, but as I go through this list, the first we've got uh, are the apostles and the prophets. Um, the apostles were those who had, been, who had seen and been commissioned uh, by the resurrected Lord Jesus as leaders of the church. Uh, they were the founders of the church and authoritatively laid out uh, what the gospel was. And every New Testament uh, work has behind it the authority of the apostles. Uh, likewise, the prophets of the Old Testament uh, were the spokespersons, the direct mouthpieces of God who brought uh, fresh revelation to the people of Israel. Now, prophecy is actually mentioned in the New Testament, uh, but it has, I think it has more to do um, at this point with the application of the word of God uh, rather, than, uh, re- rather than bringing fresh uh, revelation. It was clear by that point um, that the teaching laying down of the truth had passed uh, to the apostles. So Paul was speaking at a time uh, when there were still apostles you know, walking the earth. So are there still prophets and apostles today? Uh, I think the answer is no, that those, those offices no longer uh, exist. However, uh, we read in Ephesians uh, 3.20, um, which speaks of the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. See, the foundation of the faith has been laid in the word of God, the Old and New Testaments. So while the office no longer a prophet and apostle no longer exists, uh, I think we still benefit from their ministry through the word of God. It is the foundation of our faith, in fact. Uh, You then have, uh, in this list, you have evangelists, those who are particularly gifted at laying out the gospel and defending it. Uh, We might think of some famous examples, maybe think of uh, Billy Graham, or we think of someone like John Chapman or or Tim Keller. Uh, But I'm sure we also personally uh, know people, uh, people who are particularly gifted at telling others the gospel, uh, of being able to defend it and share it in a compelling way. And finally, you have the pastors and teachers. And I think what uh, we call ministers and pastors today, they fall into that category. And their role is to teach the people of God the faith and to uh, nurture and shepherd the people of God with the truth of Scripture. And all of these roles, uh, Paul says, these are necessary. God's people have a need for faithful and competent ministers of the Word of God. Now, we don't want to go down you know, the Roman Catholic path of having uh, an infallible clergy and church but we can actually go in the opposite direction and make uh, an also a bad mistake there. Uh, we can think that we are actually uh, automatically perfect interpreters of the Bible. Uh, I know that when, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I had some pretty wacky uh, ideas and beliefs. But uh, due to God's grace, uh, he gave me some faithful teachers of the word uh, who trained me and taught me to go in the right direction. They corrected my errors. Uh, they instructed me on what right doctrine actually was and how to properly read God's word. So it's important to remember that we read the word of God in community and God gives ministers uh, not to show people how great they are, but actually to, to handle the word of God and to equip all the members of the church. Uh, sometimes uh, the picture uh, we can get of the church is something like, uh, a, big, a big bus and you've got the drivers and you've got the passengers and the ministers, uh, they're the drivers uh, doing all the, you know, the, real, the real ministry and everyone else is just there uh, along for the ride. Well, that is not the model we get here. 
Um, the role of ministers in verse 12 is to equip God's people for works of service, and another word for works of service is ministry, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ, which means that everyone is in ministry. Uh, it's not just a few ministers who do all the evangelism or speak the truth of God's word into people's lives or care for the needs of others. Each one of us, every Christian, is in ministry to serve God and to serve one another. And the role of ministers is to encourage and to train church members uh, to unleash them and to unleash their potential. It's not to monopolise ministry, but to multiply it. And so there are, we're not on a bus. There are no passengers. Uh, we are the body. And we all need to be equipped to know what true Christian belief is. We all need to be equipped to know how our belief will work itself out in our lives. We need to be equipped to tell the gospel to others and to defend our faith. And we need to be equipped to speak the truth of God's word to fellow believers, to encourage and spur them on in the faith. So we need each other. And I think the final reason that a fellowship is essential is because we grow together. Uh, As those in ministry together, we are to build up the body of Christ, as Paul says in verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, The quality of our fellowship matters. Uh, The measurement of of that quality isn't found in how impressive we are and uh, how entertaining our services are. No, the measure of the quality of our fellowship uh, is our maturity, is is the, the extent to which we are a community of love and a community of truth. And the goal of our ministry of doing all this is that our lives would increasingly conform to Christ. We should become more like Jesus and be helping others to be doing the same in our thoughts and character, in our attitudes, in our actions. And note that Paul is not just um, individuals that are, uh, that are coming to maturity, but it's actually it's a corporate thing. It's all of us together that have been grown in knowledge and in the unity of the faith. And Paul tells us here, if we do this, then wonderful things will happen. We will no longer be immature. Uh, you've got the imagery there in verse 14 of a small child uh, just being you know, battered around by the waves. It's a pretty a vivid one. And that's to show that we need to move away from spiritual ignorance and instability. Uh, the immature church is one that will not care about the truth of God. Uh, it won't care about finding its purpose as God's people. It'll be divided, aimless and ultimately useless. And I think there is sometimes a misconception that um, knowing theology, you know, knowing what the Bible tells us about God and his word um, is a thing that's you know, kind of abstract and not actually practical. But good theology is deeply practical. Uh, for instance, if we truly understand how, how God sees the church, um, that he loves it and cares for it and wants us to grow in it, then we're gonna, if we really understand that, we're going to live that out. Uh, we're going to prioritise church. Uh, we're going to seek to love and care for others in the body. See, the, the spiritually mature fellowship is one that will pursue the, the faith and truth together. Uh, we will serve one another to lead each other to a deeper knowledge of Christ. Uh, the mature fellowship will know what we stand for and what we stand against. We will be able to recognise and diagnose uh, the false philosophies and gospels that our culture sells to us. And we will be certain about the task and what our task is as the body of Christ. And so as Paul says there, we will be able to speak the truth in love to one another, uh, the truth that saves, the truth that transforms people by God's grace. Uh, And as Joe uh, pointed out so well, actually we are stronger uh, together. We're not alone. We're doing this together.
together. So are we pursuing maturity as Christ's body? Uh, If a stranger was to walk in today and they were to look at our community and our fellowship, would they say that God is doing something big here? I guess to wrap up, fellowship is essential to the Christian life. Uh, There are are no lone ranger Christians. Uh, Being in fellowship with others, being a part of the church, is fundamental to understanding who we are as believers. We've been saved by God's grace, uh, but we've been saved into his body, the church. We need the church, and the church needs us. We need to be pursuing unity in the faith and serving one another by exercising the different gifts that God has given to us. And it's in this fellowship together uh, that we grow in the truth and in the love as Christ works in his people to make them more like himself. And so my hope and prayer is that we would value what we have here uh, in this local fellowship, uh, that we would give of ourselves uh, to it, and we would love and serve uh, one another. So I'm going to pray now um, that God would work in us to do that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that uh, you have saved us by your grace and you have bought for yourself a people by the precious blood of Christ. Uh, We thank you that um, you have brought us into a people and we pray that we might uh, see and love uh, your people in the way that you do Uh, and that might flow out into the way we love each other, uh, that we might meet together to spur one another on in good works and that together we would look forward Uh, to the day uh, in which your son returns. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would make us um, passionate for the church uh, and that we would live uh, to serve you by serving one another. In Jesus' name.